I want to read from John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you might also be. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of your word. You said that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will always stand. We thank you that your word does not go forth without purpose. That you will not return your word void, O oh God. And so we ask today that you will cause your word to accomplish in us, in each one of our lives, the purpose for you, which you sent. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. There is hope even in the middle of darkness. And Jesus tells his disciples here that I'm leaving you. But I want you, the first thing he tells them is, let not your heart be troubled. I would tell you without, <laughs> my heart was troubled. I went out, tried to walk out a little bit every once in a while. I try in the morning. And I came back home and Sarah's on the phone. It was very early. I'm thinking, just didn't sound, sound right. I knew something wasn't right because it was too early to be on the phone. And so, and then she told me Malik killed, and my mind already went to somebody he got in a fight with, you know. And then when he said what I was on the floor for a long time, and, and my heart was troubled. These kids are like, they're like my kids. I've held them. They played at my house. Seen them all grow up. Um, Sophia was so early. She was a fighter. 20, I think it was 24, 26. She was like a miracle baby. She fought through all that. To have her life taken so ruthlessly. And mercilessly. And I groaned and mourned and my heart was troubled. And I knew I had to clear everything at the time when they called us. And we, we got there. We went there. And we are glad we did. And, the, and I tell you, the family of God is good. Because we walked with them. And I was thinking through that, when you, when you don't have a family of God in your life, I don't know what people would do. I, and um, and it was draining. I'm sure it's 20 times more for the parents. But yet Jesus 
With his words, he breathes again and reminds us, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's a promise. He will come for us when our place is ready. And I was thinking, their place was ready before mine. Naturally, I think my place should be before theirs because they are little children. But we don't understand the things of God. There is no good way for one to go, for a child to go. And this one is, defies every reasonable sense that you can think about it. But yet the Lord says, even through this all, let not your heart be in trouble. Why? Because we do have hope. So we are praying going down, to driving down there. It's a long road. And you can imagine <laughs> with that shocking news, you're processing a lot of things. And one of our things that we, the Lord kind of shows us as we are praying and talking about is Sarah and I, you know, this experience in Genesis chapter 4, the first death in the Bible that was ever recorded was an older brother, Cain, killing his younger brother. We know in chapter 3, death entered the world, but death had not been experienced yet. We knew after the scene, world, the world changed, and now the thing called death was a reality. I would imagine that Adam and Eve translated that, that they would die. But their first encounter with death was a big brother taking the life of little brother. And right there I remember that God knows exactly where Vinnie and Melissa are. And even through this whole situation, this whole process, that God will strengthen them. It's a long road ahead. It's a process that goes on after the funeral. Probably, perhaps for our lifetime. Not perhaps, definitely for our lifetime. But yet God says, I got your back. I got your back. But why God? I believe that it will make sense when we get there. Some things will never make sense on earth. Because if you try to make sense of it, you'll say some stupid things. So don't try to make sense of it because it makes no sense on earth. In fact, another scripture puts it this way. I do not concern myself with things that are too profound for me. In other words, I do recognize the fact that I have limitations. In my mortal body, I have limitations. I do not have the capacity to understand the things of God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, For God makes all things beautiful in His time, and that He has put eternity in our hearts. Eternity in our hearts. And it says that nobody can fully understand the plans of God from the beginning to end. But I don't believe they are lost. 
One of the reminders that struck me this week is the fact that, and I just, if, my, if my message today has a, has a title, is really motivated by heaven, if you like titles to remember. Motivated by heaven. And, uh, and Jesus is giving us a promise, and he says that there's a picture. So uh, let me go back here. And he's talking about, and we know he's talking about heaven. But he uses a picture of a home, a very good one, I guess, a place for us, a place of residence for us, our eternal place of living. And you know, you can think about, you, there are homes, even here in Lincoln, that when you go in, that have been built incredibly well. Like you appreciate even the smallest details. You're like, wow, someone put some thought from the beginning to the end. And someone had the money to pour into what they wanted to wish for. You know what I mean? And we can all look at the creation of man and be astounded, astounded be impressed. How many of you have been impressed by a creation of man? Have you ever driven, test driven a car that you know you can never drive? You can never own it. And you're like, wow. <laughs> no wonder. You know, but, but it's a creation of man. And still oftentimes will ex- extremely impress us. You're like, wow. That was amazing. Man can do that. Let me ask you this. Think about when God decides, I got something prepared for you. And when I get done, I'm going to come get you. Because so where I am, <laughs> you may also be. And, I, and I, what astounded me this weekend as I was thinking is that we, we don't talk a lot about heaven. And even less about hell. We talk all about heaven many times at a funeral service. And the person that needs to hear it is not there, can't hear it. But the truth is, people are dying every day, every second. Hundreds have died since we started the service around the world. And people are going to those places. And you know, it leads to something when we don't talk about heaven. Because it leads to these things that we start thinking, uh, people feel, those voids are filled by ideas that are not biblical. Hollywood influences that, literature, people's ideas and whatever. And we have this weird idea of what heaven is. And I've got to tell you, the Bible talks about it. Over 600 times heaven is mentioned in the Bible. And there's a biblical view on it. Because when we start thinking of eternity, our life's motivation changes. Our concept of time changes. We're programmed to think of time based on (laughs) the solar system. And we know how small the solar system is in the whole galaxy. But our concept of time is solely programmed to think about how long we go around the sun. How many times? Sometimes don't even think that far into it. But how, that's how we measure time. And God's concept is completely different than our own. <laughs> 
Because it's not confined to the solar system way of thinking. When God says it's my perfect time, my appointed time, it's not the same as the way we are programmed to think. We have to translate this into a different uh, way. We have to look at it from a spiritual standpoint. Because our spirit are not limited to the solar system. Our bodies are because they came from the ground. Are part of the solar system. <laughs> so when God talks about timing, because it does say that when all of us are timed, that our time here on earth is limited. That God has ordered our time. How we depart the earth but Sam, you're like, a oh boy, I'd rather not go that way. Sam is long drawn out. Sam is like, oh my goodness, tragedy. But 100% of us will leave this earth. At least every generation has proved that so far. Except for Enoch, I guess, and a couple other guys. So that would end. So when God says, I go to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. And I will return for you. He's coming for you and me. When our place is ready, when my place is ready, I'm going to go. But here's why it's so important that as believers, we always keep the eternal perspective to things. And if we don't, then we lose hope. You know what I'm talking about? If they don't, there is no hope for eternity, if there is no hope for salvation, then what's the point of living? What's the point of suffering? John 11.25 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, that he, the one who believes in me will live even though he dies. Romans 8, 18 says this, For I consider the great suffering for this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed to us. In other words, yet what we suffer now is nothing in compa- if compared to the glory which God will reveal. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the reality of this life is that there is suffering. The suffering meter can be harder sometimes than others. But the truth is that we suffer in this world. Our friends, Vinny and Melissa, they suffer greatly. And guess what? Because they are part of us, we suffer with them. And then the Lord continues says, okay, now I want you guys to keep these things into perspective. I want you to think of even bigger than the sufferings. It's now, because of the one we know, that I consider, Paul is saying the church, the suffering, the great suffering, another translation says, of this present life, not worthy to be compared to the glory that we shall receive. So the suffering only happens on this side of eternity. Revelation 21, 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things are passed away. Noah and Sophia, as tragic as their experience was, the moment they were received to glory, the pain was gone. 
The suffering was gone. The tears were gone. The death was gone. Because they crossed over to the other side. All these things that belong to this side no longer affect them. The reason we feel it is because we are on this side. In those 24, 48 hours, whatever time we were there, I know God did some amazing things even through the process. And I know probably my wife can say it better. Can I put you on the spot? No, she said no. And I respect that. But I know that uh, Hannah had a vision. She had a vision of uh, Noah talking to her. It was clear. It's like, I know it's Noah. And I I can't describe it well, but the Lord brought comfort through that vision. And God had given Melissa a vision also, where they actually talked to him. And you know how even in the midst of all that, God, God has a way that he comforts us in the middle of like, God, I, I don't even believe this is happening. Is this real? And then Sam says, you know, even through this, I'm with you. I believe that's what David was saying when he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because you're with me. So those reassurances of God saying, hey, I know this is horrible. I know it makes sense. I'm crying with you. I'm mourning with you. God can identify with us. His son was killed. He can identify with us. In fact, Hebrews puts it with the same exact word, that we do not have a high priest who does not sympathize or empathize with our weakness, because he already knows what we're going through. But those reassurances that come, I'm still with you. I'm still with you. Keep on taking the next step. Keep on taking the next step. I want to encourage us today to start thinking about eternity in the way we live our lives. We're still talking, talking about thinking about heaven more. And not the warped up idea that the culture has created. Isn't it? It's so interesting. I read some research from Pew Research had put uh, together some numbers of how people, what people think about heaven. And they said about 82% of people believe that there is heaven. But only 29% believe about hell. Now think about that. And then they keep going, even Christians. That number goes up if they, they have religion in their, any form of religion. And for Christianity, Christians are higher. Evangelicals are even higher. But 80, 88% for evangelicals. And I thought those numbers to me kind of think, wow, how can you even call yourself a Christian if you don't believe there is heaven? It just doesn't translate. But, it, but what, it, what it does tell us is there's a lot of confusion. Because we have informed our ideas and our thoughts on the basis of what the scripture teaches us. 600 times the Bible talks about it. 600 times. Nearly every book of the Bible, we can learn a lot from God's word. But people are thinking. But yet every day people are going. Some without ever having the knowledge of Jesus. And it's sad. It breaks my heart. And when we're motivated by heaven, then we start praying differently. We start influencing differently. Let me tell you five things it should do for us when we're motivated by heaven. First of all is that we need to walk. It will motivate us to walk in the fear of God. It should motivate us to walk in the fear of God. In a secular culture, and increasingly becoming more secular, 
where everything goes, everybody does their own thing, whatever is right in their own sight. The definition of what's right and wrong is based on what we think is right and wrong. And now those things should not surprise us because the Bible says those are things that would happen, but it would, it does affect even Christians, it affects Christians in the church. And so we live in such a way that we are not afraid of God. We are not uh, awed by God. We don't, we don't even think of His judgment. When we live with a scope of eternity, we should be motivated. See, the, here's a mistake that sometimes I think we make because He is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, but He's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Lion and the Lamb. He's the judge of the earth. When he comes back, he's going to judge. He's going to come as a judge. And so we should walk with, with fear. We should walk in respect. We, should, we talked about a few weeks ago, we, we talked about honor. Blessings and honor was kind of a series we were talking about. But we've got to honor God. And that's the fear of God. He says, is the beginning of wisdom. That's what the Bible says. Uh, Job 29, 29, I think it says, to fear God is wisdom. To fear God is wisdom. There are times that you're like, man, here's what my, here's what I want to do. Here's what I feel to do. But, but, but because God says no, then even if I don't understand, God said no, I'm backing off. But disregard of he, who he is tells me that we are not driven by, we're not motivated by eternity. We're not motivated by eternity. But if we're motivated by eternity, it will cause us, it will cause us to walk in the fear of God. When God says something, we take it seriously. Secondly, it should motivate us to walk in holiness and righteousness. I'm not going to read all these scriptures. Trust me, it's for your own good. Because if I did, you'll be here till 2.30. So, you can read them. The Lord says that be holy as he is holy. Holiness is not being preached much. A couple of weeks ago, we had the Pastor Musa give us a motivation here and an encouragement. I don't know if he said it here. It was in the conference from Jamaica. And he said how the Lord put in his heart for a long time to just preach on holiness and repentance. Holiness and repentance. And he goes, boy, people are leaving the church. People weren't coming very much. And he goes, God, I want to, I want to give him something that will encourage him. And God says, no, preach on holiness and repentance. But you see, we want people to tell us what we want them to, what, what, what we want to hear. There's a verse that talks about that, that in the last days, people will flock to teach us that give them what their itching ears want to hear. But they will not be, they will not have the stomach for the truth. What's the truth? It's the word of God. It's not just one way. The word of God encourages us, but also the words of God challenges us and confronts us. It's not one way or the other. If the word only came to challenge us and confront us, I mean, we'll be beat up coming to church. It's like, oh my goodness, I've got to go worship Jesus now. But the word is a perfect balance that helps uplift us, but also corrects us. See, it says in Timothy, uh, the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It talks about how the, oh boy, I'm mixing my verses here. But how the word of the Lord um, um, 
I'll come back to it. I know it's verse, chapter 3, verse 16. I can't remember which book, but I'll come back to that. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Thank you. And it's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. See, I even know it. But it does all. So when we get the word, it needs to be the whole counsel of God's word. And I can tell you that there are many preachers in our day that are not preaching the whole counsel of the word of God. And that's why there are many, this confusion. So people are going, well, they're getting one aspect. I'm not saying that they're not getting the word. They're getting the word. But it's only building one time. The way I like to put it is this. It's like when you have a really good meal that has all the different causes. Four causes, or I don't know, some six-cause meal. But if you also only feed dessert, and you have your kids come and say, pick what you want to eat, Junior. They will pick dessert always. It's nice. I would pick dessert always. Maybe a little bit of steak, but... But you know... So the dessert is food too. And it's enjoyable. And the word should be, should entail all things. All areas. All causes. At all times. So if you're offended when I preach, sorry. I didn't write the book. I'm just a messenger. But we should have a commitment to living a holy life. We should be motivated to live as the Lord wants us to live. Because it's in our holiness that actually the distinct us uh, from the world. That's why there are so many Christians that their lives do not reflect differently from non-believers. And I think it should. I think there's be a distinction between a believer, one that's following the Lord, and the, the, those that are not. The fruit of our lives should be different. If we walk in holiness and righteousness, we are called out from the world. Thirdly, it should help us maintain a divine perspective, perspective on eternal things. Maintain a divine perspective on eternal things. Now that can, act, that can be relevant in our everyday life. I'm not talking for things just... That can be relevant in our everyday life. How many know there are things that come in that make you... Uh, well, let me just say people instead of things. Because people tend to do a lot of this, you know. Maybe people that you work with, people that you live with, people that are related to you, or people in your neighborhood, or people that cause us to maybe want to lose it. Are there some people like that? But when we, gra- we can grab ourselves sometimes when you're wanting to go back and punch back and repeat back, and you know that's when Jesus says, hey, turn the other side. It wasn't, sometimes it's not literal. It's just a matter of how, hey, have some eternal perspective here. And just kind of back off. Protect yourself. Don't, don't, don't lose it because, yeah, well, they're the problem. I'm not. Not to bring the race issue here, but I'm bringing anyway. I've had many people ask me because they're curious. You're a black guy with an accent with a funny name, living in Lincoln, Nebraska. Do you experience racism? I've been asked that many times. Well, (laughs) <laughs> this is the way I like to ask you. Of course there are people, because there are people. But when I see something, I think, they're the problem, not me. 
So why should I be sucked up with their problem? <laughs> so I just move on living my life and I'm not going to let them affect me. Because if they have an issue, it's them. I don't. They say, oh, how can you be happy in the middle? Well, because it doesn't affect me. I can tell you stories. I know, I remember, I used to work at a bank and, uh, and I was a manager and I was a young guy there, black with a Kenyan name and uh, sometimes the, someone that's so upset, they want to talk to the manager and they brought to my office and they think... And I can tell by the expression, you know, sometimes you can read more. But yet, so, but I don't go on the defensive because they reacted that way. They're the problem, not me. I'll solve their problem. And you know, some of those people will be combated because they had wrong ideas, wrong perceptions. Why give them the opportunity to say, oh, I was right? All that to just say that one statement is this. We need to maintain a divine perspective in everyday life. And we'll find a lot of the problems that we face, we can actually bear them easier when we try to look at the big picture. Big picture meaning God's picture on people. The Bible says that he who wins a soul is wise. So what I'm doing, how I'm living, what I say, how I react to in the middle of all that, is he helping to win souls or keep souls farther away from Jesus? He who wins soul is wise. Who he wins a soul is wise. Fourthly, second to last, it should motivate us to focus on our, our priorities, priorities on that which is eternal. One of the conversations right now that goes on, I've been to a lot of pastors' meetings and conferences where we discuss one of the biggest things that's going on in the church, a dynamic change that we're seeing in the church, and it's affecting our culture, many pastors are talking about, is how Christians are going less and less and less and less to church. And the distractions are many. They are not fake. They are real. The demands of our times are real. But when you start listing all the reasons why, the number one, after a lot of research has been done, why, why are we not going to church in America these days? Why is that? The number one list, you want to hear it? Sports. Sports. Sports is the reason many people don't go to church. Not NFL, not Major League, not NBA, because you wouldn't have tickets for those things every week anyway. Little League. Little League. Children's sports. Am I against children's sports? Absolutely not. I was playing all over the country. I was traveling at 12, competing nationally. So I love sports. It brings something out of me. My competitive age, I love it. 
I watch everything on TV that sports. From, I knew that who's the tennis stars are, who the track and field stars are. You know, I had them memorized because I was living. So I love sports. So don't talk to a guy that, well, you, you don't like sports. No. Come to my basement when there's a good game. <laughs> but I want to tell something very clearly, though. We are communicating something. Our action speaks louder than our words. And when I skip that prayer, I skip that meeting, that fellowship with believers, as the Bible says, we should be doing even more so in the last days. What I'm telling my kids is that church is awesome, it's important, but when sports come, sometimes I can take a back seat. I might not be saying that here, but we are planting seed. And slowly, not us, because we've been saved and we get there, we know what the truth is. Not us. But somehow, slowly, we're losing the next generation. Because they're growing with a different set of values when it comes to the family of God. The family of God is what God, the local church, is what God's using on the earth. The church that he says, I'm building for which the gates of hell will not prevail. That's the mechanism that God uses to grow us. To be true disciples of Jesus. I like to think of it this way. Because when you really think about it, even as a church, in a full week, how long? If we, let's say for one that attends church religiously every week. How long do we really get together if you did that? At the most two hours. When you count all things considered. But oftentimes, if, it's about our nine and a half. Of 168 hours we got three we- in a week that God's given us. If we did it every week, it will be only that. Do the math and you can see how the, why the culture is shifting. I'm saying all that because we should be driven by eternal perspective. We don't do this for doing this. Because we're trying to keep perspective on eternal things. We go on with our lives and the cares of life, but we draw together because we're wanting to keep our lives perspective on eternal things. All these things are awesome, but we've got to put perspective on eternal things. Well, I might be busy on this. And I'm not saying that you can't miss here and there or what. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying being able to be very, uh, well, the things that God's, being able to, to, to make that be a priority in your life, prioritizing on things that matter. And that affects even our check- checkbook. And that's what Jesus says, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where the moth can steal, rusk, you know, be affected by rust and whatnot. He says, and, you know, put your priorities, put your treasure in the kingdom of God. For where your heart is there, for your treasure is there, your heart shall be also. And lastly, it should motivate us to warn others and tell them about the goodness of God. Did you hear how I phrased that? To warn others and tell them about what? The goodness of God. I know when we know the hell is real, the first thing you want to do is to really have them see hell and be scared of it. But the Bible says it's the goodness of God that draws man to repentance. 
It's the mercy of God that draws men to repentance. So really, the message that, to the world is really having them revealing. The evangelism is about revealing to people the true love of God. Amen. Did you get something today? I know it's a hard message in some ways because of what we are dealing with emotionally. But we need to keep an eternal perspective, motivated by heaven in our lives, motivated by heaven in everyday life. And you will find that it would actually help you cope and deal with things in this world that are difficult. It helps you be able to rise above certain things that are too little once you start thinking or living your life that's motivated by heaven. Some things will not look big anymore. And I know even Sarah and I were looking at each other as we were talking, making that drive to Colorado Springs. It's like, wow, we are changed forever. Some things are not important anymore. I know Vinny and Melissa will, will tell you that now. It changes your perspective. And we've been changed forever by being and knowing these people. I want you to stand. How many receive something from God that they can be useful? Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name.